This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday. I'm Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my left. You would know that if you were on MileHighSports.com or at the Mile High Sports app because you'd be able to watch us at the same time. The great Danny Bailey in the booth making everything work. Our caller text line is 303-831-1340. This is one of those, uh, like I've always I've always sort of hated the the old chestnut, if you will, have got a lot to get to today. But we actually do because there was an awful lot going on in sports, and it's a big sports weekend. The Denver Nuggets will get it going tonight against the Portland Trailblazers, second night of their back-to-back. They'll be on the road with that. But is Nikola Jokic making NBA history once more? Last night, 21 points, 19 boards, 15 assists, 10 for 10 from the field, making him the first player in the history of the NBA to have 15 or more points, assists, and rebounds. And as you just heard me, he didn't like just barely skip over it with the points and rebounds, 21, 19, and 15, with 100% shooting from the field. I, I think people are getting sort of inured to this, Sandy, where they look at it and go, oh, Jokic did another thing. Folks, going 10 for 10 in an NBA game, put away the rest of the stats, who cares? Going 10 for 10 in an NBA game, is ridiculous, and Jokic's shooting this year has gone absolutely through the roof. He had the 15 assists just a couple minutes into the third quarter. The only team that he had not had a triple-double against the Washington Wizards, so much for that as Jokic puts down an all-timer type of game against Washington in the 130-110 blowout. I have a fly in the ointment. Okay. He has no triple doubles against the Denver Nuggets. No, okay. so bite your really tongue. Run the circuit. No, no, no. He'll no. have to be traded. He'll have to be traded so that he agency, can compile but... a triple double against the Nuggets, and then he'll be thirty for thirty. Not worth it. Twenty nine works. No, I think no. I, I think, think Nuggets so. fans are fine. Yeah. Okay. Not important. Well, I, I mean, you I could do the Russell it. Westbrook thing. But, but, He's you know, probably we had did him against talk everybody. When they played in Washington, we did talk about that. Yeah. Because he didn't have a triple double that night. He said it's. One of the curious aspects of his statistical profile that the only team against whom he has not had a triple double is the Washington Who have Wizards. Not been good during his entire tenure right. with the. They haven't been any good from in the 21st century. Have they been any good? No, I I don't think so. So it was a little odd to me that he didn't have a triple double at least one against Washington, but now he does. And last night was a no doubt about it. Almost to 20-20-20. And you know what? If he played more than 31 minutes, Could've it probably would have been. Absolutely. And uh, it, it is, it's because of the assists. Over the course of his career, he had just not had all of the assists. He'd averaged 23.4 points, 11.8 boards, 6.6 assists in those 17 games against the Wizards for whatever reason. But some of those reasons, if you actually look at it, are the number of minutes he played because a lot of these games against the Wizards, because they're bad, have been blowouts. And he hasn't needed to play all that many minutes. That's a big part of it as well. But obviously, uh, a, a phenomenal game for Jokic, an easy win for the Nuggets. At, at one point, I guess you know, can make the argument that uh, Washington didn't completely throw in the towel, but this thing was was absolutely never in doubt. How about this? In plus minus, the Nuggets' top seven players, the five starters plus Reggie Jackson and Christian Brown, we're a combined 117 on the plus side. Yeah. 
Well, I, I want to commend Christian Brown because during the All-Star break, Sean Keeler, who's writing terrific columns these days for the Denver Post, um, ha- had a piece on Brown. And I knew it was Christian Brown talking because he made reference to critics year after year after year slighting his athleticism and made the point this year, not as an excuse, but just as, as a point, that he has been fighting injuries that aren't exactly debilitating, but they're lingering, irritating kinds of injuries that have taken away his legs. And he talked about, uh, much ironically, as the Kansas players themselves this week have talked about this, Kansas played last Saturday and goes from Saturday to Saturday. CU does the same thing. And how refreshing it is to get that one week off at this point in a season, whether it be a college season or a pro season. All the Kansas players are talking about that this week. Uh, One or two in particular were saying, I just didn't have any legs. And Kansas starters are playing the 36, 37 minutes Mm -hmm. a night. All five of them are. And one or two have been injured lately, and either their minutes have been shortened or they've missed games or whatever. And how much good the break did uh, for some of their players in in getting them set. And Christian Brown said, I'm looking forward to this all-star break because it will allow me to gain my explosiveness. He said, I've had no explosiveness this year. And Sean Keeler, good writer that he is, found an example from the previous game where last year's Christian Brown would have soared over the defender and dunked. And this year he stopped, planted with both feet, and tried to twist and turn and got stripped or the shot got blocked. I can't remember which. But last year's Christian Brown would have dunked. And we saw last year's Christian Brown last night. I believe that's his first career double-double, 12 points, 10 rebounds. I don't think last year he had a double-double, and I'm sure this year he hasn't had one. 12 points, 10 rebounds, Uh, along with one assist, two steals, only one turnover in 23 minutes, and he was a plus 10. That's as good a game as Christian Brown has played. Now, very much similar to Jokic, I think you have to throw in that the opposition is the Washington Wizards, who, if they weren't tanking before, are in a manner of speaking, tanking now since they made well, the, the trade in with the offseason, they the, made all yeah. these trades to shed salary because yeah. what they had tried hadn't worked, and so that they are, if not tanking, they're definitely in salary reduction mode, understanding that that was going to cost and, them. Here's the other thing. Jordan Poole, their big acquisition during the offseason, he's been benched. And, I I mean, sometimes guys are taken from the starting lineup and they're brought off the bench, and it really isn't a demotion. It's it's just a way of seeing what might happen with a different combination. I think it's kind of what's going on with the Warriors and Clay Thompson, for example. All right? Yeah, it's definitely not a demotion. Poole was benched. Mm Mm-hmm is bench for lousy play. And now I know they're saying, well, they wanted to look at one or two guys, uh, give them a few more minutes. Well, the starter who replaced Poole played 32 minutes last night. Poole played 30. And Poole was better than the starter who replaced him, but not by much. He shot, what, four for, four for 17. 17 from the field? Four for 17. So, because he played 30 minutes and took a bunch of shots, he had 18 points. But he was minus nine in 30 minutes. and But relatively speaking, that was better than a lot of the Wizards did. But 
what a, what has happened to him? He was a 20-point-per-game guy last year with Golden State, and he yeah. wasn't that good. But he could still score. Now, you know, I guess 18 points in 30 minutes isn't bad, but that's not nearly what he's averaging. He has been the most disappointing player this year, I think, for any team in the NBA. He has completely failed. Um, I, You know, I have sympathy on some level because, you know, a year and a half ago, Draymond Green punched his right. lights out in a practice. Yeah. And I don't think he's ever recovered from that physically, maybe. Well, and it was psychologically, it definitely and not. So not only did he get punched, but he also then got dealt away from, you know, a powerhouse well, to a rebuilding a big, team. He got a big contract got a big extension, contract. which was as much of a sympathy move as anything I've ever seen in sports. They figured for going through the process of being punched in the face, he deserved a contract extension. Of course, later on, they gave Draymond Green a contract right. extension, and they traded Jordan Poole. They didn't trade Draymond Green. They traded Jordan Poole, I think, on the assumption that he would, at least in San Francisco, never recover psychologically. You'd think a change of scenery would have helped, but it hasn't. No. He's gotten He, he hasn't worse. even played as many minutes per game as he played the last two years with right. the Warriors, so right. uh, it's it's been bad for him. But for for Jokic, he was starting, well, yeah, for a championship team and, and, and just two years to, ago and deserved to look like, like one of the rising stars the in the league. league. Mm-hmm. And the wheels have come off for there. But for for the Nuggets, a really good performance. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. eleven boards in thirty one minutes to go along with twenty two points as well. And uh, as you pointed out, Christian Brown with twelve. And 10. So a big game for the Nuggets. But Jokic, again, when you talk about the shooting, Sandy, let's put the rest aside. In 23 games since the Christmas Day win over Golden State, in which Jokic did not shoot well, remember that was a big win for the Nuggets because they didn't get Jokic's best game and they still ended up with the win. In the 23 games since then, Jokic has had eight games in which he has shot 75% or better from the field. That is absolutely ridiculous we're talking about basically a third and he's not a dunker no so and he shoots threes a good a decent amount of threes none last night but for mortals he doesn't take a lot of quote-unquote easy shots no um so his percentage is truly extraordinary and one he's he's just a terrific shooter but two but i i think maybe that's number two. And number one is he only takes high percentage shots. Yes. The, he, he takes the best shots. Shot. And if when it's not a good time? one, he, he sends it to someone else. When was else. the last time? Absent. That didn't have a clock that, running out? You know, half a recall. second left on the 24-second clock. When was the last time you thought him uh, uh, thought him guilty of taking a bad shot? Yeah, his judgment is essentially pristine. It really is remarkable to watch and when you kind of see those performances the the, the triple double's great the win's great all that but when you start putting together the idea that this guy didn't even miss a shot it's absolutely silly the sort of shocking thing around the the league though when you think about it is Nicole Jokic that was the 16th triple double of he is not number one in triple he is not DeMontis Sabonis has 19 Uh, Jokic's good friend Luka Doncic is third with 10 Right. But, again, Sabonis, another guy that you talk about people who maybe had a beef for not being on the All-Star game. Sabonis was one of those. But, but it, again, 
the way Sabonis plays is not the way they no. Nor like is it to play even the way Jokic games. plays either. Quite no, frankly, of course it's not. a little bit. That's different. that's why the Jokic is totally out of place, uh, not as an All Star, but in that game. And Sabonis would be, and Jamal Murray would be, and all the guys who think they should be All Stars, and I'm sure would enjoy being named to an All Star team. But nobody wants to play in that game. Not, I mean, nobody. Even the guys who are oh, you could tell kind of suited for LeBron it. James didn't want to play in it. You could tell that. Well, LeBron James didn't play at all last night, <laughs> and it showed, uh, too. Although I will say this, beware the team, because I think they will make the playoffs now, even if they have to win in the play-in tournament to qualify. Mm-hmm. Beware of the Golden State Warriors. Oh, yeah. I, I think they have found I count them out. something. Um, with with Green coming back at, at the beginning, it was a little awkward. I, I think Green is back into the flow. Kaminga is blossoming before our eyes. Curry is as great as ever. Clay Thompson's coming off the bench and apparently satisfied in so doing. And he's great playing with the bench guys. Mm-hmm. He sets them up. Uh, who is it, the kid? Jackson Davis? Dale Davis' is a kid? Mm, right, yeah. Uh, it, he must have had at least four or five buckets last night, courtesy of... Just to use your word, pristine Clay Thompson passes. Yeah, I, I mean that ended up with no one within ten feet of Davis cutting to the basket, and it was just amazing to watch them. Yes, it was the Lakers, and the Lakers weren't very good last night without LeBron. But Golden State's coming, and. Golden State right now, apart from maybe Boston, is the hottest team in the NBA. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not entirely shocked by that, but you are correct. I think you're looking at a team that will be interesting. And by the way, they only have four more losses than fifth place New Orleans at the moment. Don't count them out as a possible mm-hmm. first place opponent or a first round opponent for Denver. Right. If Denver does not get out of the four spot. And uh, according to uh, calculations that were made today by the Athletic, Denver has a 1.3% chance of finishing first in the West down the stretch here. Minnesota, a 64.7% chance of finishing first overall in the Western Conference. And if you saw Oklahoma City dismantle the Clippers last night, Mm -hmm. you know that the Thunder aren't going anywhere either. Uh, I think the Nuggets will catch the Clippers and finish third, actually, and the Clippers will be fourth. But I don't think first and second is going to change. I think it's Minnesota and Oklahoma City. And by the way, Oklahoma City has a tiebreaker on the Nuggets, three games to one in the season. Series. Yeah, we'll talk more about that because Michael Malone had some interesting things to say about that. It, it, again, we've talked about the maturation of Malone as a coach second. as well as uh, fatigue for the teams going down the stretch. But we'll talk about that with Ryan Blackburn, who will join us at the top of the hour and get us a more insight into the Nuggets. But it, it does feel as if the Nuggets aren't particularly concerned about that, much as we've suggested all year they'd like to land in the top four. And again, and so have far, home court the first and have round. home court in the first round. But after that, you're going to have to go beat who you're going to have to go beat. But as you've pointed out before, Sandy, okay, let's just say the top four seeds all hold up, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Are you really nervous if the Nuggets who are battle-tested and experienced have well, to go to Minnesota or Oklahoma City? Not at this let's point. Let's say it's Minnesota. Not, not in a seven-game Let's say it's series. Minnesota. 
Let's say it's Minnesota. Who would you pick in a best of seven? Of course, I'm still picking Seriously, Denver. Who would be favored Denver. in a best of seven? Denver would be. It, it wouldn't matter that it's four versus one. Denver would be favored. Denver would be favored against anybody in any playoff series except maybe, maybe Boston. For Boston in the finals. I think that's that, it. They'd be favored against everybody in the West. I agree. So I think that for, for the Nuggets, With that's or a without different home court. spot. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the Nuggets understand that as well. Now, granted, that home that home they're phenomenal. They're twenty two and five as opposed to fifteen and fourteen on the road. But at times, and we've they'll seen be this better on the road in the playoffs. In the playoffs, right? And we've talked about this with the idea of teams, not necessarily sleepwalking, but the Nuggets understand now, and Michael Malone understands now that this eighty two game schedule gives no trophies. I was about to say in the middle of it, but they do. The Lakers have one, but. Gives no trophies at the end of for how many wins you have. There's no trophy for number one seed. The point is to get to the playoffs as healthy as possible and then go from there. And by then, look, the best teams generally win. If, you, if you're healthy, you'll get your shot. So I think that's where the Nuggets are focusing. It's where they should be focusing. Perhaps even we'll find out more tonight because Nikola Jokic indicated after the game that he was a little tired. They asked, is he, are you rested? He said no. Classic. Classic opening to rest in right. tonight against Portland. Second night of a back-to-back, yeah. on the road, against a bad team. I would not play him in any, and there aren't that many, but in any of the remaining back-to-back, back-to-back games, I would not play him on the back end. Just too valuable. And I and I don't think, like you pointed out, it's a 1.3% chance to get the top seed right, right now anyway. Uh, then who what, cares? What are you doing? Who what cares? You, you have and, a back-to-back. And he had a light game last night. Yeah. Rest him tonight. You that, have a back-to-back a, next week, Wednesday against Sacramento, and then Thursday, right. Miami. Now, they're both right. in Denver, so maybe you reconsider, but uh, well, you don't yeah, have Well, yeah, you to. might if there's no travel involved. Here, here's the other thing. And the Nuggets are aware Sandy, of this, too. They only have one other back-to-back right. on, on April right. 9th where they're at Houston and then come back home against I Minnesota. Only two back-to-backs for the rest of the year right. after tonight. That's a great sign for the Nuggets. I wouldn't play I wouldn't play them tonight either. And there are other guys who might rest, too. I just want to make one point, and the Nuggets are aware of this, too, and it reinforces what you just said. Between now and the end of the season, the Clippers of the four teams have by far the toughest schedule. That's why I think they'll finish fourth. They, they have the 11th hardest schedule. The Nuggets have the 18th hardest schedule. Minnesota has the 20th hardest schedule. Oklahoma City has the 24th hardest schedule. It's be hard to unseat if them. Oklahoma City weren't behind Minnesota at this point, I'd say with the sixth easiest schedule, seventh easiest schedule, I'd pick Oklahoma City to win. But, again, road win, home loss differential, which tells you a lot. Minnesota has a ton of home games left. They played very well on the road, but they played a ton of road games, and that's that's why they're plus 15, and Oklahoma City is plus 10, Clippers plus 10, Denver plus 10. Uh, Minnesota is almost as far ahead of the field in that respect as Boston is in the East, uh, slightly further ahead of the likes of Cleveland, New York, Milwaukee, uh, Philadelphia, and Indiana are so far off the pace. Philadelphia without a bead would not be a play-in team. Forget about a playoff team. They have to hope and pray because I think they're going to be quite possibly uh, behind Orlando by the end of the year if Embiid does not come back, and they will be in the play-in tournament, and I think they will be eliminated unless Embiid comes back. They they won't even make the eight-team playoff field. 
Well, for the Denver Broncos, an offseason is coming that's going to be very challenging, especially with the dead cap money. But good news from the NFL as a whole. Surprise, surprise, the Super Bowl that brought 210 million viewers to the table is making a lot of money, and it reflects in the salary cap. Media money. Biggest jump in history. What does that mean for Denver? Cody Rourke, our Broncos reporter for Mile High Sports, will join us to break it down next. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The NFL salary cap is launching forward, absolutely leaping forward in the largest single season jump it has made since the salary cap was instituted back in 1994. It will leap up. million, which is roughly a 13% jump, uh, nearly 14%. And that changes a lot of the calculus for teams going forward. Joining us to talk about it is our lead reporter for the Broncos for My Life Sports, Sports, Cody Rourke. You can follow him on social at Cody Rourke NFL, also the uh, host of the Locked On Broncos podcast. And uh, good morning, Broncos, on on My Life Sports. Cody, thanks for, for joining us. The Jump forward seemed to shock the entire uh, league. That the expect <laughs> the expectation for essentially even teams were not looking internally at this kind of jump for the Denver Broncos. We can get into the details with Russell Wilson later, but they were projected to be twenty four million dollars over the cap that they had to get back under in just a handful of weeks. Now it's only ten. That makes those initial moves much much easier. Yeah, no, they're right right now. They're a little bit around thirteen to ten million. Which yeah. I mean, to be honest with yeah. you, you could just do you could restructure one contract and find a way to find yourself cap compliant. I mean, obviously they're going to be making, I think, a handful of moves here in the coming weeks. We'll find out. We get to hear from Sean Payton and George Payton next week. I imagine we could see a move happen maybe on Monday for the Broncos uh, before they speak at the combine. That way they can get it out there. I'm not sure what to expect here, but. Um, obviously, the Russell Wilson decision is coming up. Sean said it at Radio mm-hmm. Row. That sooner rather than later. Oh, so next yeah. Monday might serve as sooner. Yeah. Well, and they can't yeah, afford we'll to see. wait much longer. We're talking about his <laughs> his uh, number going to guaranteed on St. Patrick's Day for twenty twenty five. Right. It's already twenty twenty five. Right. So I mean, it's going to happen before then for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I I would expect some movement on that front. Um, You know, even some conversations about Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, what are they going to do with them? Garrett Bowles obviously set to make 20 million this year. And, you know, you say you save 16 million. If you were to move on from him, you you know, you incur 4 million and dead cap there, but I I don't know what their plan is right now. I mean, I'm very, very curious to see what George and Sean and obviously Rich Hurtado, what they decide to do. But I think right now, I mean, this is good. Like this is a good situation for Denver to be in. It makes a, what felt like a very unmanageable situation, a little bit more manageable financially. And uh, I, I think they'll be okay. And then obviously I think that really kind of sets the table for them to really do a lot of stuff next year too. I think they'll have a lot of salary cap space going into next season. So uh, we'll see how well, things go. That, that's the obvious follow-up question. Does this now enable the Broncos to take that $85 million bite out of the apple all at once 
more easily than uh, perhaps spreading out the pain over two years? Does it make now even more sense to take it all in one fell swoop? Yeah, no, I, I think it does. Get it I off the books. There was, a, there was a situation where they were, I think, going to entertain doing that this year before it came out that the salary cap was $255 million. Now, initially, the projections were, were around $240 million, so for them to jump up as big as it did, like that's drastic. That's a huge move for them. But um, I, I do think that they could probably take a bite on his salary cap if they want to do that here this year. Uh, that seems like a more likely option. That way they don't have to worry about it next year. Obviously, Patrick Sertan's $19 million fifth-year option will go into effect if they decide to exercise it, which I think they will, and then they're going to work for an extension with him. Uh, and then on top of that, you're going to have some other guys you're going to have to extend. Quinn Miners is going to be another guy there you have to take care of. And so I think that I think Denver's going to be in the ideal spot. But, I, you know, there's still some questions about some of the roster holes that they may have. I mean, if they do move on from Garrett Bowles, what does that mean for left tackle? Um, you know, Lloyd Cushenberry may not be back there. It seems like Alex Forsyth will step into that role if that is the decision that they do decide to go with. I mean, so, and quarterback, who are they going to go with quarterback when they move on from? Oh, yeah, they need that too, don't they? Evident questions here, yeah. They have some really big questions here going into the next couple of years. But um, I'm very curious to see what they decide to do here. You know, it it seems a foregone conclusion that Cushenberry will leave and they will not try to keep him here. And whatever you think of Cushenberry as a player, the reason for that seems to have a lot less to do with their infatuation with Alex Forsythe and much more to do with the fact that if you pay Cushenberry, how the hell are you going to pay Miners, too? Yeah. And, and Miners <laughs> is the better player of the two. He is uh, clearly the more valuable player of the two along the offensive line. Doesn't that explain what we keep reading and hearing, that there's no chance that they'll bring Cushenberry back. It has more to do, not so much with Forsyth replacing him, but the money they know they have to pay and will want to pay Quinn Miners. Yeah, and I think guards right now are probably more valuable in the NFL level uh, in terms of offensive linemen in comparison to centers. I feel like you can, you know, Denver, remember with Matt Paradise, they uh, they found a way to just plug him in, and he there were no expectations for him. He goes out and he was, you know, he's Super Bowl with, uh, you know, being a late-round pick. I, mean, I think for, for where Denver is at right now, Forsyth, I think he's played in a system that gives Denver flexibility. The only thing that, you know, center needs to do, you need to be able to protect, obviously, on the interior. But more importantly, you need to get the ball to the quarterback. And if you can do that, you alleviate a lot of the issues. But you have to find a way to have good guard play. And I think they're expecting Ben Powers to have a bigger season next year. And I also think for Quinn Miners, they're expecting him to have a massive uh, step forward here once again. I've seen a contract here. They're looking forward to extending him. He's one of the best guards in all the football right now. So you have to find a way to continue to build that continuity. And I think they're going to do that with the guard position. Cody, back to that that dead cap money, the idea of taking it all at one time. Now, I think that makes sense because if you're the Broncos, what you're trying to do is become competitive and make a playoff run in 2025 because if you try to split this over multiple years, and, and of course I get it, most teams try to spread it over a couple of years, but there's two ways, well, there's really three ways to do it. You could either take the, all of it in once, that $85 million, which would be more than double the previous largest dead cap hit ever from Matt Ryan when the Falcons took that one, or you could take, $53 million this year and then $32 million next year. The $53 million would still break the record by $13 million. Or you can take the one that seems to me to be the least palatable, $35 million 
coming up this fall and then 49 million the next to me that's really kicking the can down the road but is there really a feeling that the broncos would take more than double the biggest dead cap hit in history in one year i think it makes sense from a from a a logical purpose especially looking at where you stand in the afc west with the chiefs still running the show but at the same time sean payton's not a guy that really thinks of himself as a rebuilder and this would certainly hamper their ability to win immediately well then it also you know it contradicts what greg penner said like greg you know broncos had eight wins this season greg penner said to us he expects him to have more than that next year so i don't necessarily see them kind of punting it and saying all right we're gonna suck for i mean a that's year. a third of the cap it's if yeah. you took it all in one yeah, year 100%. it's a third of even the new cap and it's going to have to be, I, I think this is a moment too for Greg Penner and obviously the ownership group because it's essentially them admitting like, you know what, this was our biggest, mis- this was our real big mistake jumping into football. Like, you know, we learned it in year one, year two, that, hey, like, oh, we got ahead of ourselves here. And obviously, you know, there's reasons why they extended Russ early. You know, I, ideally you want to see him play, you know, a down or two, you know, to be able to do that. But, no, but that, that, uh, that was didn't. a no-brainer. I, I, I don't think yeah, any fair yeah. person no. would criticize Especially ownership for no. signing off on that deal. What were you going to do? Let him leave after two years? I mean, and well, after giving think, up five draft picks and three players? Are you joking? So, so of course, yeah, well, they gave him the contract. The mistake was the trade. They didn't do their due diligence on the trade, and the owners weren't even officially involved. I know they knew all about the move. Of course they did. But officially, they weren't involved until August, and that deal was made in March. So, I mean, officially they weren't connected to it. Here's my question to you, though. If Penner says something like that, it's because Sean Payton told him that. Penner doesn't know enough about football to say on his own uh, something that contradicts what the coach says or isn't something the coach told him. And we know that, that Payton's ego, Sean Payton's ego, is is the size of the Roman Colosseum, all right? So, uh, or at least the L.A. Colosseum. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and it, 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 he thought he had turned it around midseason this year. That was Sean Payton. So it, there's no doubt in my mind that Sean Payton has told ownership we're going to win next year, more than we lose. Yeah, and I can see that, too. I think, you know, Sean made a great point. One thing he said is, uh, you know, I see when Denver got themselves in that deficit early on, one thing he said was the amount of energy you have to expend after that, trying to get yourself out of that hole was a lot. And I think at the midway point, and unfortunately it came at the most important juncture of the season for Denver, was in that stretch where they needed to play, you know, obviously the Chargers, the Texans, the Lions, and they just didn't have enough to sustain. And, but I do think that Denver, I mean, going back, I mean, we all see it as well there were probably three or four games last year where if Denver does something a little bit more efficiently or converts on one drive, they're a playoff team. And the conversation is entirely different. And we're maybe looking at Russell Wilson restructuring his contract versus actually, uh, you know, moving on from him. But uh, Denver's got some holes that they've got to fix. Like, you know, the run game has to be you know a lot better. Is that a product of the offensive scheme? Is that a product of the offensive play calling? Or is that just like, hey, like the running backs just simply weren't good enough. Like, you know, I think that Sean has made it very clear. Like, he's he's flirted with the idea of Josh Jacobs, you know, going back to two years ago. Um, the idea of Baker Mayfield, he's flirted about that idea, maybe coming in as they're, a bridge gap guy. Do that, though. 
They, no, they, they, can't they, they can't afford to, they're, but they're yeah. not going to be able to, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do try to get like a Sam Darnold. I mean, Sam Darnold wouldn't cost them much on a one year. I don't like mm-hmm. that. That's not, the but then there's a big drop off between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. <laughs> yeah. And even James Winston as well. Like there's a huge drop off between Baker and those two guys. Oh, of there. course. But, I, I think the consensus is you got to go in the draft because guess what? You go in the draft and you have a young guy, you have cost control for the next five seasons with him and you can determine whether or not, Hey, we're going to move on from this guy or we're going to draft another guy at some point here. I think the route of going the veteran option has kind of run its course in Denver. Um, but that, I think that's where Denver's at. And it's just, it, it's a weird place to be because right now you look at the financial ramifications of everything. It's like, how are they going to make moves this off season? How are they going to be better than eight wins next year? And a lot of it means that they have to nail the NFL draft and they have to nail their wave two picks in free agency, you know, kind of like the Houston Texans did this past offseason. So uh, there's a lot of pressure riding on Peyton, and I think there's also a lot of pressure riding on, uh, you know, from ownership that, you know, they want to get some things done here. They don't, they haven't been around football long, so they're finding out just how grueling the business side can be. And unfortunately, you know, it's a rough spot for Denver to be in. But I think the unfortunate thing is they are the cash richest ownership group in all of American sports. So if you need to find a way, you will do it. And I think that Greg Penner will go all in if he has to. He is Cody Rourke. Make sure, by the way, you follow him uh, not only on social, Cody Rourke NFL, but make sure you check out everything he's putting together at Miley Sports. It is the offseason, but Cody's hard at work. He has a great piece on the running back room, what was uh, successful, wasn't what they need. He's putting together a great series of those. So go to MileySports.com and check all of those out. I will, I will leave us all with this with the quarterback idea, though. Last year, Jameer Gibbs, the 12th pick in the draft. That contract is a total of $19 million and an initial cap of $3.4 million. The argument for quarterback, even though Cody, I think, made it very clear. This is something I've pushed before. Jared Stidham gets $7 million next year. If you want an argument for a quarterback, obviously you're picking a guy at 12. You do not want a guy that ends up being your backup. You want a star. But the funny thing is, even if you end up with someone who's a reliable backup for five years, it's still a better bargain than hitting the free agent route. So that's one of the arguments you could make towards picking the quarterback. It's, it's simply because the inflation at the quarterback position throws everything out of whack. Baker Mayfield may be making $30 million plus after being a guy that nobody wanted just a year prior. So it is fascinating, and I know Cody's got it, something about the quarterback situation in the hopper as well, so make sure you give it a follow. Cody, always good to talk to you. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much for all the insight. Absolutely, gentlemen. Happy Friday. Talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Cody Rourke, joining us. Mile High Sports and all those uh, everything you catch in Mile High Sports. Quick podcast, all of it about the cap mm-hmm. going up. The salary cap in 1994 was 34 million dollars. <laughs> this year, the salary cap went Jeez. up from 23 to 24 by 30.6 million dollars. It's the increase alone almost matches what the salary cap was in 30, 30 years. years ago. In 30 years, from 34 million to 255, and the only hiccup was uh, pandemic-related, and that's not that, that was the only time it dipped. Right. Otherwise, it's been steadily increasing, but never a jump like this. Better than 13 and a half percent, as you indicated. One of the reasons it from last year to this year is because, and here's from the statement in the league: the unprecedented 30 million increase per club in this year's salary cap yeah. is the result of the full repayment of all amounts advanced by the clubs and deferred by the players during the COVID pandemic, as well as an extraordinary increase in media revenue uh, for the 2024 on season. the final part of that quote. Yes. But that's extraordinary a, that's a 
increases in media related like we have told revenue. you you do not have to be a genius at math uh, because i'm not to understand that the money that the media payments and we have to say media not television anymore they don't have to sell a single part of it ticket yep, to make a to make a profit not one that's where the nfl is right now but this opening makes this big jump makes it maybe a difficult situation for the broncos doesn't make it easy but it does make it less Difficult. That's advantageous. We'll find out what they do. And just really a handful of weeks, free agency set to start in fewer than three weeks. So it's coming up fast. The Colorado Avalanche ended up with a game in which they looked like the better team early on. But quite frankly, by the end of it, they didn't. What is going on with this team on the road? We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. My inhibitions, fighting my intuition, premature premonition. Show me the demolition of these phony It's so ahead of my time, even when I rhyme. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Yeah, I don't know if it's something to do with the road or not. It's just uh, felt like we did enough tonight to be able to win, and just a bad mistake by me on the PK and bad game. I'm a guy that's never satisfied with my play individually, but um, I got to find a lot of different ways to be better. Obviously, you're just you're in a hole right now. You just got to dig yourself out. So that's all it is. That is the voice of one Kale McCarr after the Avalanche's 2-1 overtime loss to the Detroit Red Wings. The rivalry, obviously, long in the rearview mirror. But McCarr, his point there, I think, about his own game may be telling. But I would- Oh, he was right on the power play mistake. That was the mistake. Yeah. He was guilty of that. Now, it's a power play goal, and you're going to give up those right. uh, types of goals from time to time. Here's the problem. The Avalanche are 2-for-29 since the All-Star break. Yeah, that's the, power the problem. Play. That's the problem, and that's where McCarr's self-confessed mediocrity comes into play. It isn't so much on the penalty kill that he's been guilty of game-costing mistakes. It's on the power play. They can't score. They're 0 for 10 in their last three games on the power play. Right. Uh, which and, is which is bad. But and even, they weren't you going well before two that. 2 for 29 sounds even worse. Since the All-Star break. And we're talking about nine games right. and two power play goals. For a team that, in the 22 games leading up to the All-Star break, was converting at a rate of 35% on the power play. Think about the and talent. And they're at 6%, almost 7 but six, but less than 7% right. conversion rate Consider this. since the break. That top power 35% play unit to 7%. includes Nathan McKinnon, who ESPN this week took a, a rank, took Current players, GMs, observers, and, and rated the top at each position's defenseman, goalie, wing, center, right? Kale McCarr was the top defenseman in the league. No surprise. Current Norris Trophy winner. Miko Rantanen was the number four winger in the league. Nathan McKinnon was the number two center in the league, or as we have to mention, the number one non-Connor McDavid tier because that's on his own. He's having a better but year. But you're talking day. about... What most people universally agree is a top three center, a top five winger, the best defenseman in the league. That's all on your single power, your top power play unit. And they're two for 29 with the man advantage with those three guys. Kale McCarr has scored as many goals on the power play since the All-Star break. And the same is true with Nathan McKinnon 
as the two of us. And I can't ice skate. I have wet spaghetti noodles for ankles. I mean, it, that yeah. would be zero. Right. That would be zero. Mm-hmm. In nine games since the All-Star break, no Nathan McKinnon power play goals. No Kale McCarr power play goals. I'm not sure McCarr has an assist even. Uh, I'd have to go back and check. The goals were scored by Lekkonen and Rantanen. On the power play over the on last the power 29 play. Two for power 29. Plays. So no goals for McKinnon, no goals for McCarr, and scarcely any points. From Guerrilla Sports, they had a chance to talk to Jared Bednar, by the way, about the Avalanche's power play challenges. Here's what the coach said. Yeah, well, I mean, we've had a couple games that I haven't loved it, um, but I didn't mind it tonight. You get two really good looks on the last power play. You know, like to see one go in the net, didn't go in. You got to move on. You know, you got to keep working at it. I think we forced a few things on that power play too, though, like trying to go through the seams and, you know, we got to get that shot mentality back. And and we have it at times, but, you know, I, I trust our players and I know that they'll they'll figure it out and they are doing some better things here recently. Uh, they'll get rewarded if they just stick with it. The second game they played after the All-Star break was in New Jersey and it was an ESPN Plus special, which means it wasn't blacked out here. One of the few games that aren't blacked out here, even though they're carried by uh, ESPN Plus. During the course of that game, and this has stuck with me for two and a half weeks now, John Busegras is doing the play-by-play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good hockey guy. And they're on the power play. And they went 0-3 the night before against the Rangers. And they're on the power play. I can't remember of the three power plays they had in that game which one it was. But he said, I'm astounded. What are they doing? They're just standing there, standing in place. No one's skating. No one's moving the four men in the box. I'm watching Detroit on the power play last night. They're whipping the puck around uh, on the goal they scored. They're whipping the puck around. Avalanche people are being moved out of position, i.e. Kale McCarr, who was the culprit on the goal. He messed up. He was out of position. And I, I remain convinced that although he'll never say anything, he must be he must be hurt. He, he's not himself. I'm sorry. I saw him... Uh, even last year at times, when he wasn't hurt. He was hurt a lot last year. I, I saw him moving better than he's moving now. But in any case, that comment by Bouchercross has stuck with me because I'm looking at the power play now, it's the same thing. Nobody moves. Nobody moves. It's like they're glued, their skates are glued to the ice. No one moves an inch. And it's awful. And I, I rarely dispute Jared Bednar but I'm not seeing movement on the power play, and I almost think they're better off going with a second power play unit for now. It can't be any worse than the first one is, and it's McCarr's not mobile. McKinnon, uh, you know, is good on the one-timer, so is Rantanen, but Rantanen, McKinnon, and McCarr have one power play goal in nine games among the three of them. Lekkonen has the other one, Lekkonen moves a little bit anyway. Drouin moves a little bit. Drouin really came with a a lot of energy early. The three big guys on the power play, Randon doesn't move, McKinnon doesn't move, McCarr doesn't move. They're easy to defend. The the biggest issue I have is is even with with the power play problem, Sandy, and I talked about this because after our event at number 38 last night, the watch party that we had with the Avs, Ryan Bolding of NHL.com co-hosted it with me. 
it is that this team, Nathan McKinnon had double-digit shot attempts again and a goal. He had the goal the 34th of his season with Mika Rantanen on the assist, is far too often. We're talking about secondary scoring. This team looks, and it did. The Avalanche had a 17-6 to lead in shots early in the game. Yeah. They, they had I they know. had more energy. They had more juice. They were ready Absolutely. for the jump. They Absolutely. looked like the better team. It looked like it was, was eventually going to be a blowout. I was watching the Detroit announcers. I was watching the Detroit announcers. They were like, it, just a the, matter way, of time. the wings are lucky. Right. And, and, and when McKinnon scored the goal, it's just a matter of time. Right. He'll probably get a few more. The problem is this team in the last couple of weeks has basically more or less just looked for Nathan McKinnon to score. For Nathan McKinnon to bail if them out, score, and if Nathan McKinnon isn't scoring, it feels like they're, they're just and leaning even if he on does him too score, much. He scored against the Rangers, and last night's game was a carbon copy of the first game out of the break against the Rangers. They had a one nothing lead past the halfway mark of the third period against the Rangers, lost the game two one in overtime, and in exactly the same way, almost the goal scoring to the second, they're up one nothing more than halfway through the third period. This time they give up a power play goal. I don't think the Rangers' tying goal was a power play goal. But in any case, it, it was scored at about the same time the Rangers scored to tie that one 1-1, and then they lose 2-1 uh, in overtime when they have chances. Bo Byron's got a breakaway. There, there's nobody within 50 feet of him. He's got to bury that. I'm sorry. you got you got to bury that. And, you know, Patrick Kane scores a Patrick Kane goal to win in overtime for the Red Wings, and the Red Wings are good. I, let, let's they not are. make uh, any pretense. In fact, on the game last night, the uh, telecasters were talking about how we're looking at this game, and if they're good enough to win tonight, they'll be in the playoffs. And right now they would be, but they were saying, you beat a team like this, you're going to the playoffs. And the kind of game they played, getting stronger and stronger as the game went on, that's a playoff team. So I'm not uh, belittling the opposition here, but it's still a team that's in fourth place. The Avalanche have designs on first place, and the Avalanche are only lucky that Dallas has started to slump off a bit and Winnipeg's been slumping over the last 10 games. And that's the only reason the Avalanche are even close, and they're still third in point percentage in the division behind Dallas and Winnipeg. A couple things that are good or bad about that, because we've seen it already, by the way. In the beginning part of the year, the Edmonton Oilers repeatedly, consistently were underachieving, despite the fact that Connor McDavid was scoring left and right. Well, But too yeah, often, kind of. we watched that team, it was McDavid carrying them, or they lose. And right. they got off to a very bad start. Now, if you're looking for the bright side, once things started to click... We also saw Edmonton rip off a remarkable winning streak, and now they're back in the mix. The Avalanche have the talent to do that, but everybody who's not wearing a number 29 jersey probably needs to take a look in the mirror and asking if their compete level is high enough. Because I agree. I agree with it's that. It's that simple right now. Eustace Sandinen is not the reason that they lost. He wasn't no. amazing. But he was fine. The Avalanche in that game have to score more than a goal, period. period. I mean, listen, if, if you're choosing between the two goaltenders last night, I know it was tough to choose, almost impossible. Uh, one team had uh, 31 shots on goal. That was the Avs. The other team had 30. Uh, it was 1-1 after 60 minutes of regulation. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, Lyon let in one fewer goal, I guess. So maybe he was better but there wasn't much to choose between the two. I thought I thought they both were exceptional. 
But to be honest, I thought the Avs made uh, <laughs> more mistakes uh, in, in their shooting. And Bednar talked about it, having a shot mentality on the power play. I thought the Avs made things easier for Lyon than the Red Wings made things easier for Annan. I, I thought Annan on that basis was at least as good as Lyon was. And, you know, it, they'd have lost probably without Annan playing that way. They'd have lost 2 1 3 1. Avalanche now on the road, by the way. Yeah, okay, 13 13 and 5, but that's really 13 and 18. This team's got to get better on the road. They have to find a way to get going rather quick because, look, Gets, uh, it gets late early around here. They have a chance to bounce back. The Toronto Maple Leafs come into Denver. They'll play them on Saturday. It's one of the hot teams in the league, and the then they got Dallas. The and then Dallas. Now, those are home games. Huge but, game. But now they're starting to play good teams at home, uh, top teams in the league at home. You can't assume you're going to win every home game. No, no, you can't. And they'll have a couple opportunities. They're big ones, but the Avs need to give themselves a bigger margin for error. Nikola Jokic made a tremendous game when he played tonight. What does it mean for the Nuggets knowing that Michael Malone has made it clear? A top seed isn't the top priority. We'll talk about it with Miley Sports Lead Nuggets reporter Ryan Blackburn next. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.